There was a movie a few years ago, comedy. Of course, anytime you're watching comedies, you have to realize the world laughs at different things, thinks different things are funny, and there's always room for offense. Well, there was one particular movie uh, that was offensive to me, not from the standpoint that I was so highly upset as much as I was that Christ's name was belittled. Uh, probably it's a movie you probably have seen, and just by the fact that I would tell you about it tells you that I was exposed to it. But it was a movie called Talladega Nights. It's where Will Ferrell plays the NASCAR driver Ricky Bobby. And he can be funny, but there's this one scene in the movie the family is gathered around a meal of Taco Bell and KFC. And Will Ferrell was asked to say the blessing over the meal. And he phrases in his prayer that he's praying to the little sweet baby Jesus. And it becomes the center of a comedy sketch at the cost of reverence, at the cost and at the threat of being sacrilegious. But there's some point in that movie and there's a point even in his misplaced humor because really he revealed that there's a lot of hypocrisy that goes on in the name of faith. He talks about he wants a sweet little baby Jesus, not the grown-up Jesus, but that little sweet eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus lying in a manger. Conversation around the table while the prayer is taking place. He's thanking God for the $1.2 million that he's made the past year racing cars in NASCAR. Uh, there's some irreverent things that are said around the table, but the mother of the group corrects him and says, Quick, you know he grew up. Will says, I don't care. I like the sweet baby Jesus. Not the bearded Jesus. Not the grown Jesus. You know, this humor reminds us that people don't know who Jesus is or what he tried to accomplish, and it's often even taking place inside the confines of a space of worship. What did Jesus actually do when he came? What was his mission? What is different about the Jesus who steps down out of heaven and steps into humanity that is different than the Jesus who will return at the second advent, what will be different about him? I mean, after all, the last book of the Bible is called the Revelation. And the Revelation is he who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, the whole book is not trying to figure out when the end of the world is and when the church is going to be raptured, the whole point of the book that's at the end of your New Testament is people don't know who Jesus is. It has to be revealed to them. And they may even be stuck in the idea that I want the Jesus who's a little baby, you know, the one who didn't correct me, who didn't know much. Uh, not the Jesus who told me that I've got to love everybody, not the Jesus who spends time with Gentiles and sinners. Uh, 
Not the Jesus in the center of the cross who, from the world's perspective, is defeated. But he who comes. As we look at this passage, the background in Matthew, the 12th chapter, is that Jesus has disappointed the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Because Jesus in his earthly ministry was not concerned about the letter of the law. Morality. He was not concerned about keeping the Sabbath day and all its rules and situations. Not to their satisfaction. He didn't come and establish some sort of plan in which the Jewish people would become conquerors of the world and would be the preeminent race. He didn't come to support Zionism. They were disappointed in him. He was not a servant of the law. Isaiah's favorite phrase for describing Jesus, he was a servant of the Father. Meaning, he didn't come to meet your expectations. He didn't come to fulfill all of your dreams. He didn't come to fix whatever's wrong with your life. Now, a lot of this, you're going to have to fact check. I know that. But that's not why Jesus came. People still get sick with cancer, don't they? And they die. There's still dysfunction. There's still crime. So if Jesus came to fix all of that, he didn't solve that. In fact, a lot of people were confused by what the angel told the shepherds that he came to bring peace on the earth. We haven't had a single day of peace. Since he came. So if we don't understand what he came to accomplish, we would see him as a failure or we have to try really hard to believe what there seems to be no evidence of. As you can see, there's a whole lot in the familiarity of Christmas that we need to investigate. What is it that the scripture actually means? But Jesus refers to himself as a servant of the Lord. Not of the people, not of the law. Here's what it says in Matthew, the 12th chapter, verses 14 through 21. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known. Verse 16 is something you really need to focus on. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus come to create a huge following? Uh, build something big and significant to, to gather attention? No, he told people at the initiation of his ministry, tell no one. That, that, that's one of those things you want to put a question mark there if you, if, you, if you don't know the answer. There's got to be a key here. There's got to be something here that really will expand our knowledge and understanding of why Jesus came. If he didn't want anybody to know, I thought the whole point was propaganda, publicity, attention. No, don't tell anybody. It somehow suggests that the mission that he's 
going after has nothing to do with everybody. Hmm. Verse 17. This is the reason why he said don't tell everybody. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Behold, this is written 900 years before. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit, that's a capital S, my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the, what does it say? Gentiles. Don't miss it. This was in a Jewish book. The Pharisees are upset because they don't like the way he's doing business or who he's talking to. He's got to be a servant of Jewishness. He's got to be a servant of the law, the Ten Commandments, the servant of Moses. The prophecy, the prophet Isaiah who's writing, who's, who's telling people, God's going to destroy Jerusalem and take a bunch of y'all to Babylon. Nine hundred years prior, they are upset because he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's not coming to be a televangelist, a street preacher. He's not here to make a bunch of noise. He's going to go about his business differently than what you would want him to. He's not going to meet your expectations. Verse 20. Because this is what he wants to accomplish. A bruised reed he will not break. And smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. Do you understand now why they wanted to kill him? Why they wanted to get rid of him? Because he didn't endorse their agenda. He was about his father's business. Because God had told Abraham eons ago, Abraham, I'm going to bless your multiplying and your seed will be as the stars in the sky and your purpose to your lineage will be to be a blessing to the nations of the world. But they hadn't accomplished that. It wasn't on their agenda. They were more concerned about building a beautiful temple on a city on a hill in Jerusalem about national pride, about superiority. They were all excited about that. But God's purpose was, I'm wanting you to bless the world. Isaiah, let's read the passage. 
verses 1 through 4, Behold my servant whom I behold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. I will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Jesus didn't come to meet your expectations. He came to face your condemnation. That's why he came. Jesus, in the Bible has 150 titles, 150 titles, but Isaiah's favorite is a servant of the Lord. It says in John, the fourth chapter, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, the work that the Jews didn't do, the work that Abraham's descendants didn't do. And so Jesus came among the Jewish people, born of a virgin, to put them back on the path. And what had happened? They killed him. They rejected him. There are 300 signs written in the Bible. In other words, we'll know this is who he said he was, the Messiah. 300 signs to look for in the coming Messiah. He'd be preceded by a holy messenger, tells us in Isaiah 40. He would perform miracles, as told us in Isaiah 35. He would ride into town at the appointed time on a donkey. Not a big white horse like a conquering hero, but on a donkey. A young colt. That's in Zechariah, the ninth chapter, verse 9. In Isaiah 53, the great suffering servant passage, we are told that he would be rejected. And on a particular date, it's told to us in Daniel the ninth chapter, verses 25 and 26. He'd be rejected and killed, we're told in Daniel the ninth chapter, verses 24 through 25. But he was sent, according to Isaiah 61, for the brokenhearted. He's going to be praised by children, meaning the adults would miss it, but the children would know. Betrayed by a close friend. Yes, Judas is is in the prophecy. He'd be betrayed by a close friend, as told us in Psalm 1, verse 9, in Zechariah, the 11th chapter. We are told in Isaiah 53 that the whole purpose of his visit, his coming to earth, was to be the sacrifice for sin. Then he'd be tried. Isaiah 53, verse 7. That's just 12 that I've mentioned. There are over 300 references talking about his mission. That little sweet baby Jesus that we have signified here. Same silent night a few minutes ago. We pictured the quietness. Last Sunday we talked about really, if we're honest, it was a despicable, messy, smelly situation. A stable has a lot of bad smells. 
The swaddling clothes is not just somebody using great prose. It means scraps of clothing. Anything they could find to wrap the king. Nowhere to lay their head. Dysfunctional family to go home to. But that was his mission. To come in a humble way. Because there will be three things that he does. He will speak the truth. Listen carefully. He will speak the truth and offend everybody. If you come to church on Sunday morning and we open up God's word and it don't hit you in the face at some point, you're missing it. We, we don't come to church to just be encouraged. That's one of the things that happens. But that's not our purpose. We come to be confronted by the word of God. And at some point... We are offended. Jesus had that kind of impact. He even offended his mother once. Remember when he was 12 years old? Remember he'd not come and been where she wanted him to be and they're traveling back from their Mecca to the, the synagogue and to the temple. Where's Jesus? I don't know. When she finally got a hold of this 12-year-old who'd been spending time talking with the wise guys, the Pharisees, she said, where have you been? And he says, I've been about my father's business. He will speak the truth that will offend everyone. And the reason why he speaks the truth is to free people from the bondage of their own ideas. The Bible, after all, tells us that people perish for a lack of knowledge. It was Peter who said, give attention to doctrine and exhortation. As he was preparing the church for a time in which they would be rejected by the world. The second thing that this Jesus, who we celebrate this time of year, would be in his adult life, he would pronounce justice to the disenfranchised, whether you like it or not. He came to turn things totally over. That's why we have that phrase in the Bible, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. He turns the world upside down. He'll turn your world upside down if you really embrace the message of the gospel. If you choose to follow him, he turns things totally upside down. The hate of a people group, which the Jews were guilty of, that was wrong. So what does Jesus do? He spends all his time with Samaritans. The, the problems that were in the culture where the wealthy had a whole lot and the poor had nothing. That's why he fed the 5,000. That's the reason why he told the story of 
the Samaritan. It's the reason why he speaks to the woman at the well, caught in a serial adultery situation. She's been married multiple times. Wait a minute. Isaiah said that. The thing that he would not do was he wouldn't take a smoldering flame and destroy it. He would restore it. He wouldn't take a broken reed and pull it out of the ground and throw it away. Because that was the purpose of his ministry. Was not to destroy, but to build up. Hmm. You know, Christmas time is a sad time for many people. You know, you and I, if things are going pretty well, we're thinking about focusing on positive things and all the exciting things about Christmas, but there's so many, there's nothing to be excited about. There may even be some grief involved. Christmas is actually a time where that should be addressed by the presence of the Lord, by the ministry of the church. One of the things it says here that we probably need to look at in our own lives, in the way we speak to the unsaved, is it says that he was not going to cry out, raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. I'm going to be careful with this because I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. But you know, if, if I were to take it upon myself to grab the biggest Bible I can find and go out here on Main Street in town, get me a soapbox and stand on top of the soapbox and shake the Bible and announce judgment on the town of Williamston, to announce how God's going to destroy this place and he's going to burn this place and you better repent or you're dying and going to hell, you say, that's, that's brave, that's bold. Maybe we, all of us need to be doing that. It's not what Jesus did. Read it. It actually says that those are the ones that he was spending time with and developing relationships with so that he might keep from destroying a flame that's about to go out. Miss its opportunity. Or a broken reed. He was not just going to trample it away and throw it on the path. He was going to repair it. See, the ministry of the church is not merely preaching of the world. Be honest. When you read the Bible, the crude or blunt and direct things that Jesus said is directed at people who are knowledgeable of the scriptures. That's when he was blunt, but when he came to those that were in the darkness, he doesn't speak that way. A lot of people want to pitch Jesus as being a troublemaker, referring to him as a rebel. This passage says he wasn't. He was a revolutionist. There's a difference between a rebel and a revolutionist. A rebel is busy rebelling against authority. A revolutionist 
is creating a new world, a new reality. He's a revolutionist. Jesus is in the business of restoration. Thank God he saved my soul. Did he save yours? I think all of our families probably need a touch of grace and mercy. I think a lot of us would understand if we approach this holiday as sort of a an opportunity to forget about the world and our problems, you know, to kind of just put that on the back burner. But actually Christmas is a time to bring help to the hurting. It's a time to work on relationships. It's a time to to look at somebody other than ourselves and give ministry. That's what Jesus did. So when he came to this world, it was offensive to the Pharisees because they knew the prophecy. He's going to preach to the Gentiles. He's going to preach to the lost. He's going to take the power out of the hands of the haves and he's going to give what he has to the have-nots. And that was disturbing. So when we sing joy to the world, it's significant. <coughs> Jesus didn't come to fix Judaism came to replace it. He's not come to fix our world or fix your life. He's come to give you a new life. And if somewhere down the road your life is hurting, he's in the restoration business. I've had some dark hours in my life. I'll say this before I close. And there has been a time in my life where I never doubted God, but I doubted people. I wasn't disappointed in God, but I was definitely disappointed in people. God ministers to us in times like that when we're a smoldering flame about to go out. He also has come by my side brought restoration, and he can do that for you. Christmas is not about forgetting about the world and having some festive times. It's about being reminded of the mission from the very beginning. God sent his son to the world because he loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life.